0: I was a kid we used to play this game called Simon Says right? most of us have played that unless you're really young because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is uh, you know you just Simon Says pat your head you know so okay you know Simon said it um it's just it was a very simple game but it's so weird how in the church Jesus Says is a totally different game if Jesus says something you don't have to do it you just have to memorize it You you study it, you memorize You guys, it it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples and how many people in our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. (laughs) You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. (laughs) She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples.
1: Well, good morning. I thought we'd start out with that little jewel right there. Because it really comes down to that, right? what's the good if we gather? What's the good if we hear a good sermon, a good message? What's the good if we study and even memorize scripture if we don't ever put it into practice? And, you know, I think that that's Francis Chan, if you're not aware of who that was. And, you know, it just, I came across that and it was really sobering as we're going through this series of these Beatitudes and the way, you know, we're supposed to live and and kind of the markers of what a disciple is. And, I felt like it was a good place for us to start this morning, a good place, kind of, for our frame of mind to be, be as we approach uh, hearing the word of God this morning. Uh, We are still in our upside down series, the series on the Beatitudes, and uh, we are going to be tackling this this verse of "Blessed are the pure in heart." And again, you know, it it sounds good, and I think that you know we as genuine people, you know, yeah, I want to be pure in heart, but what does it look like when you walk out of this building? What does it look like in the morning when you wake up? And, or what does it look like when the things are going uh, the wrong way or seeming the wrong way and, and, and the life around us isn't going well? Because the reality is there's, there's evil in the world. And there's evil even in our own hearts. And we see that today as we, we prayed for Ukraine and what we see unfolding before us. And, you know, it's, it is a gift for us to be able to gather in this place today. We don't have to worry about, again, the doors being kicked in and, you know, us going out in handcuffs simply for gathering in the name of Jesus. And so we, we want to just be, for a moment here, be sober to that understanding and, and be very uh, aware of it. And, you know, that, that video, again, it's, it's a challenge for us, those words, to, to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And so that is my prayer for us as we, again, we're kind of towards going over the, the mid part and getting towards the back end of this series. And we've heard, you know, uh, this, this, this passage of scripture a lot already. And, you know, I, I hope you're still locked in. I hope you're still taking it, what you hear today, and putting it into practice in your life. Because you know the beauty of putting it uh, into practice is you'll never forget it. <laughs> you don't have to remember it because you're living it, you're doing it, right? And that's what it really should all come down to. So today we're, we're going to pick back up in, in Matthew chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. And we're, gonna, we're in this series on the Beatitudes, and we're, we've been talking about this, this word blessed, right? And does anybody remember the Greek word? Here's your pop quiz. Makarios, Makarios good job. Good job. So, makarios, that's, that is the Greek word for blessed. Um, I also learned a Latin word this week from my, my wife. And my wife and my kids in their homeschool group, they, they study Latin. And so she shared with me the Latin word, which was interesting because it's, um, it's called uh, beatus. Beatus, and it it's almost sounds like Beatitudes. Beat, maybe it's Beatus, I think is how you pronounce it. And it almost sounds like Beatitudes, and so that's where it kind of is the root of our English language, where we get that. And so I thought that was interesting, and I'll quiz you on that next week. I'm just kidding, I won't. Um, but, you know, we're going to, again, continue on with this, this series. And, you know, as we've gone through, and I hope, I really hope that you have opened your Bible at home and you've spent some time in this passage. Because there's so much here, and of course, you know, we're preaching every sentence, if you will, uh, but there's so much more that you can unpack from this. And, and one of the things, as we say often here, is, is context and, and looking at things as a whole. And, you know, we see here, and in, in if, you've, if you've read through it and maybe you've noticed, that there's two uh, verses, verses 6 and verse 10, that, that really look a lot alike, uh, verse 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, in verses 3, 4, and 5, we see this, um, as we've talked about, it's, it's almost like this, this emptying of ourselves, right? We're making room so that we can be hungry, we can be thirsty for righteousness, and, and then a result of that is that we will be satisfied as we've made space for that. But then the next three is, Pastor Tony kicked us off last week with about being merciful. Uh, we, we saw that you know, there's, there's, there's an act of, of, of going or, or giving, if you will, right, of, of giving mercy. And it's, it's now seeming to come from this full state that we can be in as a disciple where we're full of the things of God. And so now, again, we're able to extend mercy and today we're going to talk about verse A where blessed are the pure in heart where we are able to now be, maintain this place of being pure in our heart and and next week we'll be talking about peacemakers. And we carry that peace to every situation we come across and Lord knows we need peacemakers in the world today. And we as the church should be the ones carrying that message. We should be peacemakers. And that ultimately will lead up to blessed are those who perse- are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So again, so understanding, it's just it's filling up. So what? So we can sit on it? So it can grow stagnant? <laughs> no, right? It's so that we can give it out. So that we can be a blessing. So we can be used by God as a conduit to reach a world that is lost and is dying. And so with all that in mind, now let's, let's approach uh, this, this passage again. Again, a familiar passage we've covered many times, but again, we'll read it in its entirety uh, from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And again, the setting here is Jesus speaking to a large group of people who are his disciples, not just the 12, but all those that were following him at that time. And he begins to teach uh, in what's called the Sermon of the Mount, and this is the very beginning of that. So Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, who were before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you for this privilege, Lord, to be able to um, uh, speak and preach your word, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts are prepared to hear your message, Lord, for today. And God, we do continue to remember, uh, Lord, those who are suffering in Ukraine. And again, Lord, it's just a reminder, Father, of, of what it is we face in this world, of, of the evil one just wreaking havoc, Lord. But a lot of that also comes from our own hearts, Father. God, our own desires where we're led astray. And so, God, we just continue to pray, Lord, for peace. God, that people would come to know you, Lord, through this. And, and God, we thank you, Lord, just for uh, these next few moments we have together here, um, both those watching online and those present here in this room, God, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to, uh, again, jump in here, and we're in verse 8, and, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, and as we do oftentimes, you know, we have to be careful because we have our meanings for words, don't we, it, it, whether it's our, in this culture, uh, in this part of the world, and so we always want to stop and not make assumptions of what we read, especially when things are familiar. And so I want to begin with this, this word and this, this verse here of being pure, what that means, you know, it comes from the Greek word katharos, which has three different meanings for us to consider. First, it means it has this idea of being physically clean, right? Physically clean, uh, like a vine cleansed by pruning, and, and so it's it's fit to bear fruit. You know, it's one of the most fascinating things to me. I, I end up being the green thumb, which I am not a green thumb. Uh, plants in my house, at best, have a 50-50 shot of survival, um, and so, but it always has fascinated me the way that you can prune and, you know, cut things back, and it almost seems like you're going backwards, right? Like you, the tree or the plant might look almost dead, but then all of a sudden it springs new life, doesn't it? It makes room for new life to come in, and so, again, this, this idea of being pure, you can have that kind of image in your mind as well, you know, this, this being physically clean, that we're able to bear fruit, As a result, Uh, another uh, meaning that it holds is clean, being clean in the Levitical sense from Leviticus, uh, all of the the laws and rules that were laid out by God, um, items that were that were forbidden for use. And it could have been um, or or even coming in contact with, I should say, it could be people, animals, objects. You know, God laid out a specific list, a very long list. You know, if you're ever not able to sleep and I shouldn't probably say this as a pastor, but jump in Leviticus (laughs) <laughs> you'll be on your way pretty quick, at least for me. But, I mean, there is good. Of course, there's truth, and I know everything, everything in Scripture is profitable, but that's profitable for sleep maybe for some. But, um, but Leviticus lays out all these, these laws and these rules, and there was, it was about maintaining their cleanliness, being clean. And lastly, the third meaning of this word pure uh, is ethically. It's, it's free from corrupt desire and free from anything false. False. And this definition really seems to, kind of to speak most directly to what we're looking here at, the, what it is to be pure in heart today. The heart that is pure would be one that is free from evil desires. And again, I, I think we, if we're not careful, can so often blame everything, on, you know, the devil, right? The devil made me do it. But the reality is, is, there is there's evil within our hearts, the heart of man. And we see that. We see that throughout the world. And man needs a savior. And so as we look at every single one of these definitions together, they all give us an idea of what it is to have a clean heart, to have a pure heart. They describe what to consider when looking at our own purity and how to grow in our Christian walk. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to look at, isn't it? We can spot it in somebody else a mile away, no problem. And we'll oftentimes even be happy to point it out, right? But when we look in the mirror and we have to look at ourselves, that's where it becomes kind of difficult, doesn't it? And so I think to help us out, I want to touch on two very important terms here um, just to kind of help us, you know, really kind of look into this idea of of what it is to be pure. And those two things are butter and mayonnaise. Okay? Butter and mayonnaise. And if you're confused, that's okay. We're going to unpack it for you. But I don't know about you and about this part. You know, I, I grew up just across the water in Michigan, and in this region, obviously. But growing up, I say I grew up grew up old school, where everything was cooked from scratch. You know, we didn't eat anything out of a box. And my mom, you know, was a, a, a butter-only person, right? Any country crockers in here? Any I can't believe it's not butter or any of that kind of stuff. You know, you would have never been allowed in our house with that ever. You know, it was real butter. And that was it, you know, and if, and if it was a dessert, there was like a four stick minimum that had to go into that thing, right? Because that's what makes it taste good. Yeah, exactly. Real butter. You know, if we're going down, we're going down with a smile on our face, right? So, um, but yeah, it was always real butter. And I go to my neighbor's or, you know, my friend's house and, you know, they pull out like a country crock and, you know, or can't believe it's not, or margarine. It's like, you know this doesn't, you know, I tried to cook with margarine and the way it melts, it's just really weird. Um, so, the, you know, that's, that's one thing. There's, you know, it, we're talking about things that are pure, right? Mayonnaise is another one. Any miracle whippers in here? Yeah, see, we're all, this is why we're kindred spirits. We're all <laughs> in good company. Again, you know, I'd go to my friend's house. Some, somebody I'd go and they, they whip out this miracle whip. And I, I have to admit, it was kind of interesting on sandwiches, but in everything else, again, in our house, no, it was mayonnaise. We were Hellman's, and I know there's other ones out there, but we were always Hellman's mayonnaise. This is what, yeah, what's what you, you're getting way more than you bargained for at church today, but um, it, was, it was mayonnaise, the real stuff, right? It was, it was the real deal, and so that was my mom always had to, again, you had to have the real stuff, because what you start with affects what the f- finished product is, right? So where am I going? Let me see if I can remember, but... <laughs> No, but, but I believe, you know, as I, as I looked at this, as I looked at butter and mayonnaise, and I looked at this whole message today, I really feel like much of life we spend discerning what is real and what is not. Everything, you know, we're always constantly assessing, is this real? Or another word to say I, I would use is authentic. And in a day and age with all of our selfie uh, filters and all this stuff, you know, you, you see somebody online and you meet them in person, you'd walk right past them nowadays because they look totally different. Why? But there's, there's this desire though within all of us. So there's this deep desire though for that which is authentic, right? And we say it often here, and I'll say it again. I believe with all my heart. That's what the world is looking for. When they come, when they're looking for Christ, when they come to a church, what are they looking for? They're looking for the authentic, the real. And a lot of places will, you know, I don't want to criticize, you know, the light shows and all that stuff, so whatever, but. That stuff is fine if, if there's still authenticity in the church. <laughs> and so we always have to be assessing, we're always looking, where is the authentic? I was stationed in Korea, South Korea, for about a year, and one of the great things about South Korea, uh, you know, there's, you, you can hand somebody in, a mar- in the marketplace a flashlight and literally come back two hours later and they'll have created a flashlight that looks identical to the one you handed them. You can, one of the, the, a couple of the big things there, uh, for example, are are suits, right? I'll never forget, you know, I never had had a tailored suit. And, you know, all my friends were like, hey, this is the thing you do. You go down, you pick out your fabric, and it's the real deal. You know, I mean, they measure. And if you've never had a fitted suit, it's incredible when you put that on. It just, everything fits. And, um, you know, so I went there and I got the material, did everything. was going to pick up the suit, and it was really funny because I walked in, and the last thing that we we did, or was that the the tailor was going to do, he's like, "What what kind of tag would you like inside?" I was like, "What do you mean? What kind of?" You know, he's like, "Well, I've got you know, I've got Hugo Boss, I've got Armani, you know, what what do you want? You know, it's you can pick whatever." And so, and I picked one, and you know, he sewed it in and everything else. And uh, this is confession hour, so I'm not, gonna, you know, you kind of out, you know, you kind of hold the jacket pocket open just a little longer. And, right? (laughs) And to most people, it's like, wow, you have an Armani suit, or, oh, wow, you have a Hugo Boss suit. That's, oh, that's so nice, you know, and I paid 100 bucks, you know, three-piece suit with a uh, tailored shirt and tie all from scratch, right? Nobody knew the difference. But to the trained eye and people that lived there and and knew, especially my friend, everybody knew that, you know, there were ways to tell what was real and what was not. It's just like over there, that was also a place you could buy the, the fake Rolexes, right? The, they call them the Folexes. And the way that you tell the difference of a, a real one and a fake one, one of the big things is the second hand, right? The second hand on a fake one will tick. On a real Rolex, it just, it's a smooth rotation, right? So if anybody comes up and tries to sell you one, now you, you know the difference. But, but when I was there, though, that there, there was this, you always had to be careful because people would try to sell you things that were not real, but they appeared real, And and so again, the things that are um, they're fake, they they look like the original, but there's ways to determine what is real and what is not. And we are living in a day and age where I would say it's becoming harder to discern at times what is real and what is not. You know, because people can create these, these things that just simply they look the part, but they're they're not. And so, you know, there there are ways to spot a fake. There's a ways to spot a fake suit, a fake Rolex. But there's also something I'd like to just say that, that we need to spot and that's, that's, that's fake Christianity. Because here's the deal. there's fake Christianity and then there's authentic real Christianity. I, I think about this and you know I think we've been sold this lie that you know the enemy comes in and, and it's going to be, you know, you've got the church over here, you've got Christianity, and over here you've got, like, demonic devil worshippers, right? Which is, there's truth to that. But the reality is this. <laughs> if I take what's authentic and what's real and I, I tweak or I change one little thing, is it authentic anymore? Is it real? No. It's a fake. But it sure looks real. At least from the outside. And so today, you know, I want to challenge us as we, we begin to jump into here and, and what is pure and what is authentic. Because there are warnings throughout Scripture about false prophets, right? False being fake. And let me tell you something that's not a, something that's going to happen in the future, that's something happening now. There are buildings, there are congregations with the sign outside that says church on it, but they are not a church. they're not a church. Why? Because when you look closer, you're looking for those markers. Are they, you know, we started with that video, are they doing what they've been called to do? Are they being obedient to what the scripture says? And upon a closer look, they're not. And so we have to be diligent. We have to be careful. We have to always be on the on the lookout. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, the, one of the best places to start when you're looking at a church, you know, besides what's being preached and what's being said from the front, but it's, it's looking at the people. And don't misunderstand me. You know, God's not looking for perfection, <laughs> God's looking for authenticity. God's looking for the pure in heart to acknowledge that, you know, we fall short, that we've made mistakes, that we've, we've you know, there's even still, like, evil desire that comes through that, like, God, what is this, you know? Where, where is this coming from? I, I, I have this desire to be obedient, but whether it's my flesh or the things of this world compounding in and bombarding us, and it can it can lead us astray. And so again, coming back to this, this this statement here in verse 8 that blessed are the pure. And if we are authentic followers of Jesus Christ, that should be the place that we work from in our heart. Even when we make mistakes, even when we fall short, our hearts are pure before God. We're pure in what? In heart. Now, again, this this term heart, again, probably for most of us, but first we think about our, you know, the ticker, the thing that keeps us going, keeps us moving. But obviously in scripture, heart is, is something deeper than that. And I'm gonna explain it the way I'm about to explain it. And there's different ways to explain this without, you know, falling outside of doctrine or the scripture. It's it's I mean, it's again, it's like explaining God, right? When you try to explain God, yeah, you can get a picture. But you're trying to explain the God of the universe. And so we are not God, but we are complex beings uh, made in God's image. And so the best way that I like to explain, and I'm going to share this with you today, is first off, we, you know, we have this, what's being referred to as the heart is, is our spirit man, as it's called. Our, our inner person, the person, the, th- the, the person that goes on to eternity, right? That when we die here on earth, that person who you are, who, what makes you you, goes on into eternity, right? Right? And so we begin there in that place, and then our, our, our heart, we, we, between our heart, we have a soul, and then we have a body. We live in a body. I'm going to come back to soul in a second. And so we live in this body. How many know our bodies are failing and fading away? <laughs> right? Amen? Probably getting up this morning, you know, it's like, wow, we're, it's, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's fading, it's dying. And so we live in this body now. And so our body is, that's our sin nature, our flesh nature, descendants of Adam. You know, that's, that's where all that is, and that's what tries to, to pull. That's why we're so drawn at times to things of the world is because of our flesh. And so, you know, between that, I would, and again, this is open for interpretation, but between that, I would say, is our soul. And our soul, I would say, is our mind, will, and emotions. Okay? Our mind, will, and emotions. Why? Can you uh, be misled by your mind? Can your mind mislead you? Yeah, yeah, I hope, so. I hope you got that one right. Yeah, it can, right? If we maybe have the wrong information or we think the wrong way, and, you know, we can be misled by our thoughts, right? How about your will? Look at a two-year-old if you need the answer to that, right? Our will can drive us. We can be driven to, no, I'm going to push through this. No, why? Because it's what I want, <laughs> And so my will is to do this, and so I'm going to do it. So our will can mislead us. And here's, here's the gimme. <laughs> How about your emotions? I just don't feel in love with him anymore. I'm just going to go on. I feel this. And that's, isn't that what we hear in our culture today, right? Everything is feely. I don't, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Right? So your emotions can mislead you. So that's where, and that's really where our battle happens most of the time, is right? The mind, will, and emotions in our soul, because it's constantly, and, and again, my explanation or description here, it's being pulled between spirit and body, right? The flesh wants it to go this way. The spirit that is made new in Christ, when you come to Jesus, you know, is saying, no, this is the way you need to go. And our mind, and will, and emotions, they, they're, they're kind of the battlefield, if you will, Right? And so just kind of have that in in your mind (laughs) and and an understanding before you as we we press forward now. But when we're talking about the heart, we're talking about the spirit man that's inside of us, right? Our inner inner person. And in Proverbs 4.23, listen, it says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Now, again, I think in our, we see things a lot of times as what bombards us, right? What comes in, which is there is a point to that and there's, there's something to that. But I think we overlook a lot of times that a lot of things in life and what we can get, it comes from the heart out, right? It flows from us to other people. And so, you know, the heart is such an important part of our being, our, our, our spirit man, Listen to what, what Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount, same chapter, chapter 5. So just a few verses later, listen to, to some of these things that Jesus shares. In, in verses 21 and 22, he says this. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that any, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So what's Jesus saying? He's now saying he's, he's, he is shattering molds right here. Because <laughs> there are religious people in this crowd, too. And, and, you know, there are people that look like they do the right thing, but their hearts are far from God. He's saying when you sin in your heart, it is the equivalent of actually doing whatever it is that you're thinking about. That's the kind of weight that it has. Same chapter, verses 27 and 28. He says, You have heard, it, heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's, it, it's painting the picture. <laughs> we may not want to hear it, but it's really pretty clear where sin starts, where it begins. And it starts right here, right? And Jesus is saying that this is, this is why he's, he's getting at this point, that the heart is critical. Let me share one more thing, and then I'll share what's on my heart. Matthew 5, verses 31 through 32, it says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What is he saying here? Why is this so critical? Right? When you were married, were any of you joined together? Like did somebody like sew you the two bodies to like side by side? Like were you joined? Anyone? Strange wedding? No? Right? It's crazy. I'm, I'm being a little crazier. No, no, we weren't. But what does it say? It says that the two shall become one. Where do you think that occurs at? Here. Right? We become one. We're united. And so what happens when this goes on, and he, he's, he's, he's hitting at the root of this thing, is, is it's, this is important because, again, like he said, everything flows out of our heart. None of us are pure in heart by nature. None of us. This is why we needed a Savior. This is why we needed Jesus. You know, when we see people that don't know Christ, and you see them doing what they're doing, it's because it's what is in their heart. They need to be saved. They need to be made new. In the magazine The Times of London... There was an editor back in the 20th century that wrote to several um, authors in that time and asked, in your opinion, what is wrong with the world today? Think about that for a minute. Don't answer out loud, please. But think about it and come up with an answer in your mind. What is wrong with the world today? If you could just summarize it in a sentence or two sentences, think about it, come up with that answer. And Yeah, and that, that's, there's sin, Listen to this. This is what the great uh, essayist named uh, G.K. Chesterton, if you've heard of him, this is what he wrote. He wrote back to this person. This is what he said. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. He responded simply with, I am what's wrong with the world today. Recognizing his state, recognizing, again, this this place where his heart, his motives were not pure like they should be. Understanding that he needs a Savior. He needs God. And we are in the same place today. We need Jesus. We need our hearts purified and we need to constantly be in this place. And so this question today of how do we purify our hearts well, the first thing is, is, is through the Word of God, right? The Word of God. That is the best place to go. That is the best thing that we can do, is to be in the Word, is to be seeking God and letting the Word of God speak to our, our hearts. It says that the Word of God is alive, it's active, it, 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 it splits uh, soul and body, and, you know, it's it's It it's moves. And this is how God speaks to us. And so, again, if we want our hearts to be purified, it, it comes through the Word of God. Another way that we purify our hearts is through prayer. Through prayer. What is prayer? It's, it's communion with God. It's communicating with God. It's spending time with God. And, you know, I, I think a lot of us might be deterred sometimes because we think we have to have that prayer is that, that time, maybe in the morning when, you you know, you've got your your, your half hour, ten minutes, an hour, whatever you spend you know, and you have this, this time, and sometimes it can be a little dry. But God, you know, we want to be in constant prayer with God, right? It says to pray without ceasing. That means we're constantly talking to God, we're constantly in communion with God. And it's through that that God speaks to us and that this, this purification takes place. Uh, another way is through our thought life, right? We talked about our mind, will, and emotions. We, we, we can't just be kind of blown like the wind, you know, through life. We need to take every thought captive, it says. Things that do not line up with the word of God. And we can't sit there and dwell on those things. And then when that leads to an action, we wonder what happened. Can I tell you something that, you know, typically when somebody sins or does something, like outwardly, if they're really honest, that started a long ways back with a thought, with something that they did not deal with, they did not address. And so, again, it starts, you know, our thought life is so critical to this purifying process. Another way is is confession, right? To confess our sins. It's confessing our sins first and foremost to God. And here's the fun one, but also to the person who you've offended. (laughs) If you have sinned against somebody, you need to go to that person and, and, and say, or if they've sinned against you, you need to go to that person and say, you know what, I'm sorry. Confess that sin. And I think a a far more challenging one or maybe a greater uh, impact and maybe one we deal with more often is when somebody has sinned against us and we don't forgive that person. Did you know that you can forgive somebody without them ever asking your forgiveness? You may not ever get it. Maybe that person's passed away. And you never had that chance to make things right. But in your heart, you can forgive that person. And I believe one of the greatest challenges and one of the greatest reasons that people feel, if you will, far from God, or there's not like they feel like their prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, it's because they're holding unforgiveness in their heart. You see, when you hold that unforgiveness, it doesn't affect that person <laughs> as much as it affects you. And when we hold on to unforgiveness, that unforgiveness, if not dealt with, it begins to take root (laughs) and it grows and it grows and it grows eventually becomes bitter. Bitterness sets in. And if you've ever, I've met people in my life and if you've never met them, you know, they were offended or somebody did something wrong. And I'm not saying that what was done was not wrong. Understand me. And it was not difficult. But because they've held on to that, they are like the one of the most bitter people Why? Because it's just festered and grown. And so they can't have this relationship with God. Why? Because he's like, in in the Word of God, it says that, that he will not hear your prayer. He will not forgive you if you're holding unforgiveness. Do you think all the people in the crowd, as Jesus was being crucified, were they yelling, crucify him, or were they yelling, forgive us, forgive us? They were yelling, crucify him. And what was he saying in return, Father Forgive them. Right? So we have to make sure that our hearts are are clear, are clean, that we have to confess and and we don't hold on to sin. We're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. And the beauty, that's the beauty of the cross. And what Jesus did is we have forgiveness there, waiting. And lastly, probably one of the, the most challenging, but, you know, We've been talking about this in some of the, the previous sermons. But sometimes purifying our hearts comes through fire. What do I mean? It comes through trials. It comes through difficult times. We talked about this when we were mourning, right? When, when we're going through a hard season in life. And I mentioned that phrase, you know, don't waste your pain. Why? Because God uses those seasons you know, if you look at if you've ever watched how they make like gold or silver and, and what that refining process looks like, you know what's always involved? Fire and heat. <laughs> A lot of it. And what happens? Well, whatever that was, it begins to to change. It melts, right? And then in that time, then the, the trained eye, or they, they can de- de- determine what is the, the, the junk, the contaminant that's in there, and they, they, they just remove all that stuff so you're left with the purity of the silver or the gold. And then what happens, because it's, it's hot and it's moldable, it can then be shaped and formed into whatever it needs to be. God wants to shape and mold you and me into exactly what he wants us to be. And it may require, and it not may, it probably will require some fire and hard times. And we talk about this often, but I want to say it again. You know, It's it's during those times. It's during the valleys, right? Not the mountaintops. It's the valleys that that we draw close to God, that God changes us. He he knocks off those hard corners and, and begins to mold and shape us. And again, while we would never sign up for that, I believe that is the reason why God uses those things. If we allow it. You can become bitter during that time, but if you surrender to God's plan, to God's will, to what God's wanting to accomplish, say, Lord, have your way in my heart, in my life. Use me through this time. And he will. He will. Blessed are the pure in heart. And the beauty is that last part of this, this verse. For they shall see God. Another way to say that, <laughs> if, if I can translate myself, it's all worth it. Whatever you're facing today, whatever pain you're struggling to work through, whatever it is you're facing or going through, it's all worth it. Because you know what? To behold God, to see God on the other side, it makes it worth every single moment. This life is, is but a vapor. It's passing. Our ultimate desire should be to see God a theologian named Leon Morris, he says this, he says, there is a sense and a measure in which this is true of life here and now. All right, this they shall see God portion. The pure in heart see God in a way that the impure never know. But the main thought is surely eschatological, which means simply beyond. That's, that's beyond death. That, that's the future. That's eternity. That's the theological word for that. And so, again, he's, he's saying this that the main thought is, is, of course, our future when we behold God face to face. But, he says, it points us to a vision too wonderful to be fully experienced in this life, but that will come to its consummation in the world to come. And so, again, there is a, a hope for our future, right? There is a, a point where on the other side of death, you know, and this is where I agree, you know, we, we will ultimately behold God in his fullness, but God also continues to reveal himself here on earth as well. Listen, Jesus, you know, God came to earth, God with us, walked this earth. Yet people failed to recognize him. People failed to see that God, the God of this universe, the God of, of, of the, that was their creator, was standing right in front of them. He literally showed up in person. And yet people rejected him. Why? Because of their hearts. Because of their hearts. You know, one of his his, uh, greatest adversaries, if you will, here on earth were the religious people. The ones who were supposed to have it figured out. Right? And they wanted to sit there and argue with him, and they couldn't see that, that again, he's God. Why? Why? You know, they'd figured out a form of, 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 of what looked like the right thing to do. Let me tell you, you know, I grew up from a baby. I was born and raised in the church. I've been in the church my whole life. I know how to walk the walk. I know how to talk the talk. I know how to look the part. I know how to do the right things. But it doesn't matter what I do or what I say or how much of it I do or how much of it I say. I can go and feed, you know, starving children for the rest of my life. But if my heart is not right with God, it's all just wash. Because, again, we're trying to go from the outside in, right? Instead of it springing from here, it's, we're trying to somehow out here make it right, and somehow that's going to change this, and it won't. We have to have hearts that are pure. And the beauty is we can see God today if you look out the window right now and you see that tree, you know, moving in the breeze, the first thought that comes to mind is—is is what? You know, think somebody's shaking the tree down there. You know, no. What, what's our first thought when you see those branches moving? It's probably some wind outside, right? Can you see the wind? No. Can you walk out of the building? Can you feel it on your face? Can you feel it as it cuts through your clothing, to your bone? You can, right? You can feel the effects of it. You know that it's, it's, it's there. And it's the same with God. When Jesus left, did he just leave us hanging? He actually said it was good that he leaves. Why? Because he promised what? That the Comforter would come, the Holy Spirit would come. Did you know that the Holy Spirit's still here today? <laughs> what does that mean, that God is present with us today, that God is here today? We have the privilege of serving a God who is relational, who loves you, who loves me. Not because he he needs our relationship somehow, but because he loves us, he wants to be in relationship. He's made a way for us to be in relationship. We began with this comparison between authentic Christianity and fake Christianity. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, I want you to listen to what it says. It says, Not everyone who says to me, sorry, this, this this passage, I think we should read every single morning. It is scary. It is very sobering. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many, not some, not a few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If that doesn't sober you, then you might need to do a heart check in this very moment. Because it sobers me every time I read that, every time I think about that passage. Again, these people, people are going to show up and they're going to be confident. They're going to be with all their friends and all their family on that day. You know, hey, we made it. We're here. You know, we get to enter into eternity with God and it was all worth it. And he's going to just put his hand out and say, stop. Not you. Because I never knew you. I never knew you. does God know you today? That is a better question than, do you know God today? Because <laughs> the reality is that some of us might know a lot about God. We might have read, and again, the video we watched, we might be able to, to quote whole books of the Bible. We might be able to quote the, from the start to the finish. We know all the verses do you know who else can quote Scripture? Satan. Yeah. He did it when Jesus was being tempted. Do you know who else who believes in Jesus and knows that he is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and rose again? Do you know who else knows that? Satan. Satan does. Think he's going to be in heaven? <laughs> no. No. We have to be very careful, church, that we don't make coming to Christ just simply mouthing a few words and, hey, I'm good to go. Is it that simple? Yes, in one sense it is. But if your heart is not attached to those words and they just come from a place of shallowness and just like, you know, yeah, it sounds good, I'll say it. And this is what happens, right? This is what happens. This is what happens, you know, when you see people who had this, this move or you, you thought that, hey, they were this way, they were a Christian, they knew God, but then, you know, they get to a place later on and they're like, what, what happened to you? Now, it can be, there's two things. There One, I think a lot of times there wasn't a genuine conversion back here. They, they played the part, they, they walked the walk and things like that. But other times, too, and, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we walk through life perfectly, Right? It doesn't mean we go through struggles and times when we're questioning, like, God, I don't, I want to understand, but it's again, where's your heart? (laughs) Again, one of my favorite things when I heard it said, and I share it with all of you often, you know, it's, it's not okay to question God, but it's okay to bring your questions to God. We don't question God, but we can say, God, I'm struggling to understand right now, but at the end of the day, I know that you are God, and I surrender to you. As we prepare to wrap up today, I want to ask, what is your response? What is my response today? In James chapter four, verses seven through ten. And I want you to hear these words in here, because you're gonna you're gonna hear some words that remind us of the beatitudes that we've gone through, right? And it starts out with so humble yourselves. What is that? That's that's meekness, right? We've talked about we preached on meekness. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. And again, remember, blessed are those who mourn. Remember that? We talked about looking at our sin in our lives. And that's what we're seeing here. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. You will arrive there before God on that day, and he will look at you, and he'll he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter. That's what I want to hear, (laughs) and I'm sure that's what you want to hear. As we wrap up, I want to share three things for you today and for me. To the question, is my heart pure today? And there's three places we may find ourselves. For some, the question is, is is your faith only emotional? Maybe you had that experience, maybe, you know, again, maybe it was in a, a song, in a moment, a relationship with a person, and, and there's somehow that's connected and, and it's just the emotional part of, of, of Christianity in, in that walk with God. And again, understand there's, God's given us emotions. <laughs> it's okay. You know, that's why sometimes you see somebody in a service or during a song and they're crying, you know, there's, God moves. When God is moving, don't put him in a box. <laughs> Our response may be an emotion. But if you're in that place where your faith is only emotional, you may need to dig into the intellectual side, if you into, into studying the scriptures. If your desire is not to be in the word of God, then you need to stop and say, God, why? Should my heart be drawn to be in your word because you speak to me through your word? And so that's some of us here today. The second question is 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 your faith all about duty for some of us you know and this was a a season i had to go through as well that we've been in the church for so long that we come out of just duty (laughs) i'm gonna come i'm gonna pay my tithe i'm gonna do the right things i'm gonna show up you know when i need to show up and, and and that's good But the Pharisees did the same thing. (laughs) Those things are great. But again, that can't be the the thing that that then works into us. From our heart, we should want to do those things. We should want to gather. We should want to give. You know, we we talk about giving and, you know, we we do that. Why? Not because we have to, but because we want to, because God has been good to us. (laughs) We should give generously. Generously. Our faith cannot be duty only. You have not experienced relationship because you truly haven't given your heart to Christ. God wants your heart. You think the God of this universe cares about your money? You think the God of this universe cares about your gold star for attendance? That does not impress him. Imagine if you were married and you know you, your spouse you know, just spends, okay, well, I'm here. Let's sit down. I need to get my time in with you today. All right, are we good? Okay, I got to go. I've got something to do. Oh, wait, you need some money? Here you go. Here's some money. Does that sound like a relationship you'd want to be in? No, right? Your spouse, you you want that person to to love to be in your presence. To wait and just to desire to be present with you, to spend time with you. Why? Because they love you in their heart, (laughs) And from that comes these other things. Some of us need to come to that place to understand that God wants a relationship with you today. And let me tell you something, one more thing, if I can. Some of the hardest people to reach are the ones that have grown up in the church. Because, and I'm not saying this as a, as a criticism, it's, it's just a dangerous place because you've been in it for so long, you really need to stop and say, God, is, is there desire here? Do I have relationship with you? Or have I just learned... The right things to say and do but God I think the Lord you're here today this can be that day and don't let because you've been here for so long stop you if that is you and lastly this last question is your faith purely intellectual you love to read about it but you have yet to really step on the field and live it you know about God you know what you're supposed to do you study the scriptures but again, it's just, it's, it's words on a page. God is calling out to you today. Today is the day. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we recognize, Lord, that we need you. <laughs> and God, we, we see in your word as we've studied today, Lord, and heard, God, just that our hearts need to be pure before you, and we cannot do that on our own. We need a Savior. And God, I pray for every single person in this place today. I pray for every single person watching online. God, that this is the day, no matter where they are, whatever... They fall into, you know, whether their faith has been just emotions, whether it's been just duty, or whether it's just been a, a mind, an intellectual faith, if you will. God, let them know you for who you are today. Let them come into relationship with you. Let them surrender. Let us surrender to you today as Lord and Savior. God, we need you. Now more than ever, as we look at the world around us, Lord, we need you. Purify our hearts, Lord God. Make them as gold. Refine us. And God, let us realize, Lord, that that may require fire, that may require the challenges, Lord God, of this life. But let us submit ourselves to that, trusting you, the author and finisher of our faith. And God, we are thankful, Lord, for for those of us who have professed you as Lord and Savior, and maybe we're just going through a tough season right now. God, let us hold fast to the fact that you promise to never leave us or forsake us, that you love us, and that you are faithful, Lord. God, may we know your presence today. May we know that you are God today. So God, we thank you. We thank you for this time, Lord God, and let us not leave this place today before settling, Lord, the things that are of eternal value. In Jesus' name.